Grace. Good morning, church. Boy, it's good to be with you. We have made it to the end of the book of Acts. Congratulations to you. We are on part number 23. 23 parts to this series of the book of Acts, and we are finishing today. And each and every time we've been approaching the book of Acts, we've been asking a question about the mission that Christ has given his church. It's incredibly simple. Uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, before he ascends to be back with his Father in heaven, he simply tells his apostles, I want you to go and be my witnesses to your world, starting where you live and incrementally work out beyond the borders of where you live, but go be my witnesses. Go tell people that I have raised from the dead. Go tell people that I am now sovereign king and lord of the universe, and I'm able to be their savior. And we have seen so many different facets to this mission being played out, and we most certainly want each and every one of us to be engaged in this mission, to believe in this mission, to be convicted by it, to believe in it, and to carry it out. And so today, we're going to finish with Luke, looking at a portrait of a man, Paul, as we've been tracing his life for a good period of time in Acts. We're going to look at the portrait that Paul or that Luke gives us to finish this book. It's sort of an interesting finish to the book. Um, Luke leaves us hanging. Like, what happens to Paul? You know, we've followed Paul since chapter about 22 um, under this arrest and then this transfer. And now he's finally made it to Rome because he's appealed to Caesar. And Luke leaves us wondering, like, what actually happens to Paul? And I think Luke does that on purpose. I think Luke leaves us with what we need to see from Paul for us to glean on how we're going to carry out the mission. And what Luke leaves us with is a picture of a man who has incredible endurance. Incredible endurance. I believe God wants us to be people of endurance. Most certainly, like Paul, people of endurance in the mission that Christ has given us, meaning we don't waver, we don't quit when facing difficult times, we don't give up when facing heat and pressure and challenge, we don't give in. We have incredible endurance. God wants us to be that kind of people, especially in his mission. And I think he wants us to be people of endurance in all the other matters of our life that really are important. And so this morning, I want to look at three things very quickly in Paul's life as the principles of endurance. We're going to go back to verse 17 in, in chapter 28. So that will be 17 to 31 will be the whole context. Uh, lucky for Bryce, I didn't have him read all that for us. You're welcome, Bryce. The many readers that have come before, you know, we've read 20 and 30 and 40 verses. And I uh, decided to take it easy on you, Bryce, today. I knew where he went to school. He grew up going to the same school, so I wasn't sure he could handle all that reading. <laughs> we didn't grow up in this Pickerington area. <laughs> so back in chapter 28, verse 17, 17 through 20, I want to show you the, the first principle of endurance. And you'll find that as we talk about the principles of endurance today, that these kind of carry over to um, not just endurance and faith, but endurance in all matters of life. Um, but first of all, verses 17 through 20, listen what it says. Luke is telling them about finally arriving in Rome. And he says, after three days, Paul called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people, 
or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and to speak with you. Since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. Principle number one with endurance is this. Endurance is born out of suffering. Endurance is born out of suffering. The mission of Christ has brought significant and unjust suffering to the life of Paul. We have been tracing this arrest and then standing before many different authorities in his day, his appeal to Caesar. His life is literally on the line, and Paul has endured incredible, incredible amount of suffering through the time that he has been living in this mission. And it might seem like suffering just proves endurance. You know, when suffering comes on and you stick with it, it might seem like when suffering shows up, suffering just proves endurance, but it's not necessarily that way. Suffering, in fact, is actually where your endurance comes from. It's born from there. You see, when we suffer because of something we believe in, or we suffer because of something we're doing, a cause that we're taking up that we believe is valuable, there's only two results that are possible when you begin to suffer for what you believe in. You will either quit or you'll endure. And the variable that makes the difference between quitting and enduring when suffering shows up, when suffering comes upon you because of what you believe in, you'll either quit that thing or you'll endure. And the difference is this, genuine, heartfelt conviction or belief that what you're doing is valuable. You see, suffering is actually not the thing that makes people quit. When people begin to suffer for what they believe in or suffer for what they value or suffering for doing something that is important to them, the actual act of suffering is not the thing that makes us quit. We actually quit because we begin to think in our minds and maybe realize with our brains things like, I'm not sure this is worth it. I'm not sure this is right. I'm not sure I believe in this. And you know, when suffering shows up, um, and you actually end up quitting, that's not always a bad thing. Sometimes you should quit certain things. Sometimes you suffer for making poor choices or having false beliefs or suffering for doing things you ought not to be doing. And when suffering shows up because of what you're doing or what you believe, and you realize this really isn't worth it, or I'm not sure I should believe this, or I'm not sure I should keep doing this. And when you stop doing that, the suffering just snuffs it out. You see, suffering doesn't make us quit. Suffering just subtly asks us important questions. Suffering just asks you questions like, is this worth it to you? Suffering asks you things like, are you sure you want to keep doing this? Suffering, when you're doing something you believe in, asks you things like, are you sure you want to lay your life on the line for this? Are you sure this is real? Are you sure this is valuable? Does this thing that you believe in, does this action that you're taking, is this something that really matters to you? 
And when suffering shows up, you'll get your answer to those questions of, is this real? Does this matter? Should I keep going? Suffering is not the thing that makes you quit. Suffering is the thing that asks you the questions. Does it matter? Suffering is truth serum for your soul. And this is exactly why Paul would say in Romans chapter 5, he's glad when suffering comes. If you don't have this worldview or this perspective of suffering like Paul had, that suffering is actually the thing that brings to the surface what's real in you. If you don't have that perspective, you actually won't hold the belief that Paul holds that suffering is actually good for you. Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, that suffering produces endurance. Suffering produces endurance. You see, when you suffer, it makes you endure in the things that matter most to you, and it makes you discard the things that aren't that important to you. So endurance is actually born out of suffering. That's what Paul was saying in verses 17 through 20 here. He was telling the Jewish brothers who were not yet Christians but were the local leaders saying, listen, I'm here because of the hope of Israel and I have done nothing to deserve this. But he sticks with it because he believes in it and his suffering is producing even more and more endurance. So number one, suffering is born out of I'm sorry, endurance is born out of suffering. Number two, let's read verses 21 through 28. So Paul says this, or I'm sorry, they say to him in response to his statement that he is in chains because of the hope of Israel. And they said to him, we have received no letters from Judea about you. And none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, that means the Christianity of the way, they called it, we know everywhere that it is spoken against. So these local Jewish leaders are saying, we haven't heard from Jerusalem or Judea yet anything negative about you, but we have heard about this sect that you represent, and everything we've heard is not good so far, Paul. So in verse 23, it says this, when they had appointed a day for him, Paul, They, these local leaders, came to him at his lodging in great numbers. And from morning until evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. Now he would go on to explain why they disbelieved, quoting the prophet Isaiah, that these people would hear but never understand, that they would see but not perceive. In fact, he would say that they were hard-hearted people, those that wouldn't believe. But principle number two about endurance is this. Endurance is not only born out of suffering. Endurance will demand from you a transcendent purpose, a bigger purpose than yourself. When you ha- to have endurance, you have to have a purpose that is bigger than you. And that's what Paul is explaining here. Paul, for the first time in the last few years, has the biggest audience of potential Jewish supporters he could ever have. Up until this point, when he's in Judea and then Caesarea, he's had all these Jewish people gathering around him who don't believe in Christianity, but also don't believe in him. They're his enemies. And so Paul's got all of these local leaders who are Jews that are surrounding him. They're at his feet. 
I imagine the temptation for Paul was great for him to win these Jewish leaders to himself. You see, these men could have swayed the court possibly in, in, in Rome. They were local leaders. They were probably important figures. They might not have been citizens of that area. Most likely they weren't. They might not have access to the most highest courts. But there's a good chance that they have, Paul had the support of all of the Jewish local leaders. He might have been able to sway Caesar out of his life being taken from him. He might have been able to say, well, look, these Jewish people here aren't against me. So it must have just been biased of the Jewish people in, Ju in Jerusalem and Judea. He could have gotten out probably of his death sentence. But the Apostle Paul didn't just live for his personal desires, nor did he live just for positive outcomes. Paul actually had a bigger purpose than himself. You see, Paul's purpose was for all to know the glory of the one true God seen in Jesus Christ. In verse 23, he says that he appointed a day they came to his lodging. He has the moment when he's able to speak to them. And when all of these local leaders are in front of him, it says from morning till night, he takes all this time to explain the kingdom of God and Jesus Christ. From the scriptures that they believe in, but he's arguing with them and showing them that Jesus is the Christ and the Messiah. And he has this purpose for all to know the glory of God and Jesus Christ regardless of the result. You see in verse 24 it says that some believed and then there were others who disbelieved. And that end result, that, that product, that outcome of some believing and some not believing had no sway over Paul knowing what he was supposed to be doing. In fact, we see in verse 31 that he didn't stop proclaiming the kingdom and teaching Jesus Christ. So people believing or not believing didn't impact his belief in what he should be doing. You see, for us, friends, without a purpose bigger, without a purpose bigger than your own personal desires or even your own desired outcomes, you'll always be a person that's shifting. You won't have endurance. You'll always be shifting. You'll always be asking this one self-motivated question. Will this opportunity, will this school, will this job, will this person Give me what I want. If your purpose is just only as big as you, your mind, your life, your desires, your outcomes, if that's all the bigger your purpose has, you won't have endurance. You'll always be shifting. And that comes with two problems. Number one, the problem is this. You'll never be able to answer that fateful question of will this make give me what I want. You'll never be able to do that. You, in fact, don't have the power like God would to see into the future, to know, will this opportunity, will this job, will this school, will this person give me what I want? You won't be able to predict that. You won't know that. And so you'll always be a person who is anxious, indecisive, maybe scared, and then ultimately angry if you don't get what you want and things don't work out the way that you want them. When your purpose is isolated simply to your desires, you'll always be shifting and you'll never be able to produce the outcomes you want. You just won't. But the second problem is this, not just a personal discontent. The second real problem is this. You will miss your real purpose. You were never designed by God to have this isolated, cyclone-driven, self-motivated purpose. You were never designed by God to be that way. 
And if you live in that mentality, if you buy into the message of our culture that says when you find yourself, you find life, when in fact the Bible says when you die to yourself, you find life, but if you live in this mentality that says when I get everything I want, then I'll have life, you will miss the real purpose that you were put on this earth for. Because you were called, just like every other created thing, not just human, every other created thing you were called to join in the chorus of the world that sings to the praise of the glory of God. You were called to do that. You were called to declare the glory of God, which is seen in Jesus Christ and known and experienced in a relationship with Him. That means that your talents, your gifts, your abilities were meant to point to the glory and the greatness of God. Your relationships were meant to mirror the beauty and the glory of the relationship you have with God where there's humility and service and honor and respect. Your money was meant to flow towards things that bring glory to the greatness of God. Your attitude is to reflect that you know the glory and the greatness of God. Your service is to represent that you know that you serve a great and glorious God who rewards you for that selfless service. Everything about your life was meant to point towards that. So if you live with a self-involved purpose, you will always be asking, will this give me what I want? And you won't be able to answer that question, and you'll miss your true purpose. But the most disheartening thing of that whole problem is this, that when you live that way with a self-involved purpose, when Christ returns, and it says he'll sit on his throne, and you'll know that every knee, you'll look around and see every knee bowing before him. And you'll hear every tongue confessing him. You'll look around and realize that that tiny little kingdom that you were trying to build for yourself to sit on your own little tiny throne was not really the purpose. And you'll finally realize when Jesus comes that that tiny kingdom you've been trying to build for yourself, nobody's a part of the kingdom. Nobody's singing your praise. Nobody's bowing before you. You'll realize that. There's incredible emptiness in building a kingdom just for yourself. Because there's not a person in the world that wants to be a subject in your kingdom. There really isn't. And I'm your friend by telling you that today and not learning it someday when you realize your life is over and it's been wasted. You were created, designed, originated by God to participate in the chorus of the world that says God is great. And every part of your life is meant to do that. And so endurance will demand from you a transcendent purpose or you won't have endurance. Number three, lastly, as uh, Bryce read for us in verses 30 and 31, let me finish with this. It says that Paul lived there two whole years in Rome under house arrest. He says he was at his own expense. He was paying for things. But he welcomed anyone who came to him. And he proclaimed the kingdom of God and he taught about Jesus the Lord with all boldness and without hindrance. There, Paul was in Rome for two years and he was enduring. And endurance didn't mean just waiting and suffering and hoping this finally will be over. That's not really what endurance is. And true endurance is not just waiting. True endurance means staying active in what you believe in most. So endurance remains active in what matters most. And the two activities that Paul uh, uh, endured in were, you see here in verse 31, he proclaimed and he taught. 
he proclaimed with great passion the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Just like I was referring to you here just a moment ago, that these small little tiny kingdoms that we try to build with our own little individual lives is not the kingdom that you're supposed to be living for. Paul would herald that message. We proclaim that message and say, there is a kingdom. There is a risen king, and that new kingdom is now here, and it's now present, the kingdom of God. And you can be part of that kingdom, citizen of the king and son and daughter of the king. You can be part of that. And Paul would proclaim that. That means that he would declare with passion to convince people of that kingdom. And the second thing he did, he proclaimed, but he also taught. This means that he would patiently, carefully teach and explain with detail. There is a difference between preaching and proclaiming and teaching. There's a difference between the two. Proclaiming is heralding with conviction to try to convince people and bring conviction upon people. And teaching is to carefully walk along beside, to mine out deep truths and lay them before people so that they might understand them. He proclaimed about the kingdom and he taught about Jesus. That tells us something about our activity. That we need to have conviction that our own little kingdoms aren't really what we're supposed to endure in and believe in but actually the kingdom of God. And we should convey with conviction to people about that kingdom. But at the same time, we need to be careful people who can teach about Jesus. I think it's really important that the Bible presents the difference here between those two. Because sometimes we can stand back at a distance from people and scream about Jesus. But you notice Paul received people day and night, every day, and carefully taught them about Jesus. You see, people are turned off by Jesus. People are put off by Jesus, most oftentimes because they don't really understand Jesus. And so we have an obligation to know him, to understand him, and to be able to teach him well. And he did this with two qualities. I want to make sure you understand these two qualities carefully. The first one is with boldness. Boldness. Now, oftentimes, if I say the word boldness, you begin to conjure up images in your mind. You probably think of loud and boisterous Maybe uh, like the image I get in my mind of uh, Preacher Jed. I I've told you about Preacher Jed, right, in the corner of the street in Athens. He used to stand on the corner of State and, and, and Court Street, and he would scream at people saying, you're sinners, you're going to go to hell. Remember him, Barry? Did you ever see him? He'd have this sign down at OU. It's like, you're going to hell, kind of like Westboro Baptist style. And he would scream at people. And when I think of boldness, sometimes I think of that guy. And, you know, that's not really what boldness is. In fact, that's not boldness at all. You know, the word boldness means just simply this, that the information you're presenting, you say it in a way that you look at somebody and say, this needs to be remembered. That means you can be bold and quiet. You can be bold and subtle, but you can be bold and firm, that this needs to be remembered. So Paul was bold, but he also preached without hindrance. That means nothing would stop him. This man had endurance because he remained in the activities that mattered most and nothing would stop him, not even himself. And so we think about how all this works together. We said that endurance is a product of our convictions combined with our suffering that gives birth to real endurance. And when suffering comes, it only gives birth to endurance because you're convinced that something matters. The question is this. How do you become convinced that the Christian life matters? That's the thing I wrestle with. Like, I'm standing here trying to close this down. How do I convince a mostly friendly audience 
that giving glory to God, that making your life about the glory of God matters. That knowing Jesus Christ matters the most. That sharing Jesus Christ with other people matters the most. How do I convince you of that? Well, Hebrews 12, I think, does a great job at that. In verses 1 through 3, when he says that we ought to, because we have a great cloud of witnesses around us, those that have gone on before, we should lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily entangles us, and we should run with endurance the race that is set before us. He says we should look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despised the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And he finishes verse 3 with this statement, and here's your answer. How do we know this matters? He says that you should consider him. You should consider Jesus. It means you need to thoughtfully consider him. Take time to patiently think about him. And he says, when you consider him, you won't grow weary or faint-hearted. In fact, when you consider him, you'll have endurance. So how do you know this matters? How do you know the Christian life matters? How do you know knowing Jesus matters? How do you know sharing Jesus matters? Hebrews just says this, consider him. That's what he leaves you with, consider him. And when you consider him, what he endured, what he did, what his life was about, then and only then you'll finally know this one fact. When you consider him, you'll finally know that you matter to him. That you matter to him. How will you know the Christian life matters? When you consider Jesus and know that to him, you matter. When you consider his life, you'll realize that he died the death for us. That he lived the life for us. And every one of us is chasing things. We're chasing items and jobs and opportunities and things to find, to find assurance that we matter in this life. And it's right in front of us. If we'll just consider Jesus Christ, we'll finally know him. And we'll live with endurance, the kind of endurance we're supposed to have. How do you obey this message? Really quickly, three things. Here's how you obey what we're talking about today. Number one, ask yourself, have you suffered for your faith in Christ? Have you suffered at all for that? And if you remember a time that you have, ask yourself, what was the result of that suffering? How did it go? Just reflect on that. If you haven't suffered, ask yourself why. Are you balking at opportunities of having faith? Okay, number two, here's how you obey. Ask yourself, what are some ways that you can live this true purpose in your daily activities? at your job, in your relationships, in your home, in your neighborhood, in your activities, what are ways that you can live the purpose of giving glory to God in those daily activities? Number three, ask yourself this. When you think about and consider Jesus Christ, what do you walk away knowing about him and about you? And if you don't have a good answer for that just yet, when you think about Jesus Christ, that all that entails him, him coming to this earth, him living the life that he lived, him dying the death he died, raising back to life, when you consider about him and you think of all the things that he did and you line up next to that, why that matters to you, if you can't really put those two things together, that's the heart of the invitation we always offer. To make sense 
of who Jesus is and why it matters to you. And if you'll get that, you'll be a person of endurance in your faith and in your life. Let's stand and sing. If you need something, you can come.